The Rocky Mountains hold many mysteries. Millions of people enjoy the natural beauty, but some come across the hidden dangers. This is Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. I'm Melanie, here with my dear friend Becky. The stories we share are remembered by some, but forgotten by many. Let's dive in to Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. Hi, Becky. How are you today? I'm doing great, Mel. How are you doing? I'm doing good. It's starting to warm up. It's been nice. I'm so ready for the warm weather. Me too. Like, we live in the desert, so you know what? Bring on those 110 degree temperatures. I love it. We're we're getting excited. I'm ready for spring for it to be just a little bit warmer, not quite blazing hot yet. I'm ready to rip out my dead plants and, like, get those flowers growing. I love the springtime. Me too. Mm Mm-hmm. So, well, we have a great case to talk about today. This case is somewhat known nationwide, more than some of our other cases. Um, but this case kind of kind of got looked over because of another huge case that was at the same about the same time. So we're gonna get into it. Um, Mel, let's take a trip down memory road. How was your high school dating life? Did you have boyfriends? Did you date a lot? Were you shy? I don't know this part of you, Mel. So mom and dad, you can pause the podcast. Just skip this part a little bit. Just <laughs> jump, kidding. I'm jump sure. Ahead, jump ahead. 30 jump seconds. ahead a little bit. Um, I honestly, I just always had a boyfriend. I didn't date like a lot of people. I just always had a boyfriend. I was the same way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is terrible. Like date around and have fun. But that's how I was in high school. You were the same. I I almost always had a boyfriend. But I'll tell you, I had some great boyfriends. You know who you are. I'm not going to say names because that would be weird. But um, oh, I just all my boyfriends were so great. Such good people. Um, and my boyfriend, I had the longest in high school. We had an awesome agreement where for the school dances, we went with different people. So I do still feel like I got to experience dating other people, but not for real. Yeah. So this is going to be our second two-part episode. So this will be two parts. Um, and we'll be talking today about a young woman who excelled in everything that she pursued in life. She was intelligent, beautiful, and a ray of sunshine to her family and friends. She married her high school boyfriend and was so excited when she discovered she was pregnant. Who could predict her life would be cut down so quickly? This is the story of Lori Soares and her baby. Lori Soares was born in Los Angeles, California on December 31st, 1976. She was born to parents who were not quite ready to have a baby, so she was lovingly placed for adoption. My husband was actually adopted, so there's a special place in my heart for birth moms. As you have to be such a strong woman to do that. So, so strong, so giving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Soon after her birth, Thelma and Harold Soares were so excited to have Lori join their family. Lori had a new older brother named Paul who was just seven years old. With Lori's birth and adoption into the family, this completed their family of four. So Harold, Lori's father, uh, adoptive father, but we're just going to say mom and dad from now on. So Lori's father was a language teacher at a high school in Fullerton, California. And Lori's mom, Thelma, was a stay-at-home mom. She doted over her children and stayed super busy. 
While living in Fullerton, Lori attended Pacific Drive Elementary, where she loved making friends and spent her days playing. Lori and her family were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, otherwise LDS or Mormon. They were active in their church, and they spent a lot of time with all of their friends and congregation members. In fact, Lori's parents, Harold and Thelma, had met while serving a church mission in Rio, Brazil. Well, that's unique, isn't it? So in 1987, when Lori was 11 years old, her parents divorced. Lori and her mom moved um, to Utah, to Orem, Utah, in 1989. This was a big move for little Lori, about 650 miles away. But Lori was confident and smart, and she did she did really well with that move. Yeah, she seems like she was a strong, a strong little girl. That's definitely a difficult time to see your parents going through that and to have to move away. That's rough mm-hmm. on kids. Yeah, that is a that's a hard age, 11, 12 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She stayed close to her father, who stayed in California. Lori finished her elementary school years at Windsor Elementary in Orem, Utah. So she then moved on to Canyon View Junior High, which Mel. I went to Canyon View Junior High in Orem, Utah. How crazy is that? Such a small world. Such a small world. So she was elected um, class president in ninth grade. And Lori was well-loved by her classmates and very popular. Lori attended high school at Orem High, where she continued to excel and make lots of friends. One of these friends was a boy named Mark Hacking. The two friends met while on vacation at Lake Powell. It's about a four-hour drive down to Powell, and, you know, with a big group of friends, they met, um, they spent time in the sun, camping, boating, jet skiing. Some of my favorite summer memories are spent in Lake Powell. Lake Powell is amazing. Oh, the warm water. It's so sad what's happening with it now, but that's another story. Yeah, it's it's losing its water. It's, It's draining out, but yeah, I mean, there's nothing better in the whole world then waking up to those like glass waters, you know, oh, just it's heaven. Yep. So good. While hanging out around a bonfire on the beach, Mark, who was just a year older than Lori, burned his hand in the fire. Lori attended to his wounded hand and the two ended up staying late and talking well into the night hours. I've had a couple of those nights at Lake Powell where you just stay up all night and then you watch the sunrise. And then you go to sleep. There you go. <laughs> so, well, the young the young friends, their connection continued. They began dating. And midway through high school, Mark and Lori beca- made it official. They became a couple. They decided to be exclusive and spent almost all of their time together. Mark was outgoing and funny, and Lori was more quiet and kind. It seems like almost always opposites attract. I'm very different from my husband, and you're pretty different from yours. So Thelma Soros, Lori's mom, said, I really liked him. We would sit down and complete crossword puzzles. He always came out and put on the Christmas lights and the Christmas tree each year. He would stop by he would stop by the freeway if he saw some people whose car had broken down. I would tell him that was dangerous, but he was just a kind young man who would help anyone in need. A good kid. In 1995, Lori graduated from Orem High School and went on to attend Weber State on full scholarship in nearby Ogden, which is about 100 miles from her home. She maintained her relationship with her high school boyfriend, Mark. Just after one year at Weber State, Lori decided to transfer to the University of Utah. She loved her years at the U, as it's called in Utah. Lori was selected by the Hinckley Institute of Politics as the George S. Eccles intern in business policy. 
She worked as an intern at a public administration group, Mendez England and Associates in Chevy Chase, Maryland. So I have to say go Utes. We are a hardcore Ute family. And I've got to give a shout out to Hinkley Institute because that is where my husband studied. Look at that. Yeah, you are very connected to this story. I am. I hope not too connected. So Lori was a selected, she was selected a member of the Beta Gamma Sigma and was awarded the University of Utah President's Award for Outstanding Scholastic Achievements in 1996-97. So she is just excelling in life. She also squeezed in a job at Hinkley Dodge to support herself while going to school. In 1999, Lori graduated magna cum laude with a bachelor's in business management. Lori and Mark at this point had been together for years, and Lori at 22 and Mark at 23, they decided it was time to get married. So on August 7, 1999, Mark and Lori married at the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints Bountiful Temple. They were a young couple, completely in love. Lori always called him her big old teddy bear. After graduation and getting married, Lori and Mark settled into life together. Lori took a job at American Express and then at Wells Fargo as a stockbroker's assistant in downtown Salt Lake. Mark had graduated from the University of Utah the year before Lori, but he had kept really busy studying for the MCAT, which is the exam that is required to attend medical school. So his goal was to attend medical school and specialize in oncology, which is treating cancer patients. Preparing for medical school is a full-time job. Yeah, the average student studying for the MCAT takes about six to nine months of studying close to full-time. Plus, Mark had flown to different cities for interviews. Preparing for med school takes a lot of time and work. Yeah, my niece's soon-to-be husband is studying, is getting ready to study for his MCATs, and it is a big deal. Oh, I didn't know that. That's yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. So he and Lori finally decided that he would attend the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. Mark did work some nights as a licensed healthcare assistant at a juvenile psychiatric unit, but he worked very little due to his crazy schedule preparing for med school. Mark had been so busy preparing for medical school and Lori was happy to support the couple financially for now. The couple was excited and looking forward to their next step together. Do you remember those first couple years that you're married? It's just like you're living in a bubble. It's just so fun just to be the two of you and to have your whole lives set before you. So, yes, they would miss their family and friends, but they would be together in North Carolina, and that's all they really needed. Yeah, I've never been to North Carolina before, but I've seen pictures. It's somewhere I actually really want to go. It's on my list. But you've been, right? I love North Carolina. It is so green and so beautiful. And, yeah, I just love North Carolina. Okay, we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Thank you, Balance of Nature, for sponsoring Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. Melanie, I love my Balance of Nature. I take it every single day. Balance of Nature fruits and veggies contain 31 flash-dried fruits and vegetables. 31. They are specifically selected for their combined effectiveness in strengthening the immune system, cell protection, and DNA repair. The fruit capsules contain 16 different fruits, including aloe vera, apple, banana, blueberry, cherry, cranberry, grape, grapefruit, lemon, mango, orange, papaya, pineapple, raspberry, strawberry, and tomato. Wow, Melanie, do you need a drink of water after that? That was a long list. Bounce Nature packs so much into their caplets. The veggies include a blend of 15 different pure whole vegetables 
In the capsules, you'll find broccoli, cabbage, carrot, cauliflower, cayenne pepper, celery stalk, garlic, kale, onion, shiitake mushrooms, soybean, spinach, wheatgrass, yam, and zucchini. So go and order today so you can start taking your Balance of Nature vitamins. Go to balanceofnature.com and use code REDHANDED. Or you can use the link in our show notes. That's balanceofnature.com, code REDHANDED. Take your vegetables. Big thank you to our sponsors. Well, our couple, Lori and Mark, had just decided to go to the University of North Carolina for medical school. Yeah, both extended families were excited for the young couple. Lori's family adored Mark and his big personality. Mark came from a large and well-respected family of nine, and all of them were high achievers. You know those families that are just so loved and active in the community, sports, academics, just high achievers all around? Well, Mark came from one of those families. He had two older brothers, one who is a doctor, the other who is a computer engineer. They were very active in their communities, um, their schools, their church. The boys all got their Boy Scout Eagle Scout awards. And mom was the, you know, the PTA president, just super involved. So Mark came from a really good family. In June of 2004, at a big family get-together, Mark showed Lori's family that he had gotten a new stethoscope for school at UNC. He was planning on having his name engraved on it. He was proud of his success and what he had achieved and wanted to share it with the family. The couple had a wonderful support system for the journey ahead. In 2004, they were busy preparing for the move across the country when Lori found out she was five weeks pregnant. Mark was so happy that he phoned Lori's mom, Thelma, himself, which, Mel, tell me, I think that's a little weird that he called her mom. What do you think? I know. Were they together when he called? Was it like they both called or he just called on his own? I don't know the details, but I still think that is... That's little, something that a daughter calls yeah, and tells her mom, right? right? Yeah. I think so. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That just kind of struck me as a little little weird. Yeah. She said Mark was so excited and both Lori and him had wanted a baby. Mark was so great with kids. So on Friday, July 16th, 2004, Lori's co-workers were planning on throwing her a big going away party um, that evening at a friend's cabin just up the canyon. Lori was leaving her job that she loved so much. She had such good friends there. Um, for their big move to North Carolina. So she would miss her coworkers, so her coworkers just wanted to throw her a party. That day at the office, Lori had received some bad news over the phone. She refused to discuss it with her coworkers, but it was obvious to everyone that she was really upset. Mm-hmm. Her desk mates had noticed that she had been looking at the University of North Carolina website. So while speaking to someone on the phone, she had started to cry and had left early for that day. Yet that night at the going away party, both Mark and Lori seemed perfectly fine. They talked about how excited they were and smiled and laughed together. Yeah, so two days later, Sunday, July 18th, Mark and Lori attended another party. This one was a housewarming party for some friends. Again, everything seemed great and they happily discussed their move to Chapel Hill in early August. They were optimistic about their bright future. Everyone was excited for them. Now, Mel, you and your husband, you guys did a lot of moving early in your relationship. Was that like hard? How, how, or did you like going out and doing your own thing? Um, 
I I don't like moving. I just don't like the process of moving. Like, like it was physically moving. Like, like physically <laughs> moving. I don't think anyone likes that. No, that's true. Um, but I liked being able to see and do different things. Um, living in North Dakota was a little bit rough, if I'm being <laughs> honest. But it was fun to get out and meet new people and see new areas mm-hmm. before yeah. settling down. That's cool. That same evening, Sunday night, the couple went to a convenience store. They can be seen on the security cam footage picking up a few things. This would be the last place where anyone would see Lori Soares hacking alive. Just a few hours later, at 1 a.m., Mark Hacking returned to the store, but this time he was alone. Monday, July 19th, was the start of a new week for the young couple. Their apartment was starting to be packed up and boxes were stacked all around. So, reportedly, Lori started her day as she always did, by waking up early and going for a jog before heading to the office. Hacking placed a call about 10 a.m. into Lori's office to check in with her. Brandon Hodge, another trading assistant that worked side-by-side with Lori, said he answered the phone when Hacking called. Yeah, he asked for Lori, and Brandon told him that she hadn't made it to work yet. So this was really not typical behavior for Lori at all. She was expected to arrive for work at 7 a.m., and she wasn't there. She was never late, so definitely some red flags here. Yeah, for sure. When Hacking heard that Lori had not made it into work yet, he told the coworkers that Lori had gone for a sunrise jog at Memory Grove, which is a downtown park near their apartment and Lori's office. Yeah, Memory Grove is a gorgeous big park with like, it's called Memory Grove because several it has several big memorials. It's beautiful, like a wandering jogging path through the trees and the gardens. It's located right by the Utah State Capitol. It's it's beautiful. Have you been there, Mel? I have. And mm-hmm. people get married there. It's just, it's really gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It's a great place to go for a run. Mm-hmm. So pretty. Hacking then realized that her workout clothes were still there untouched at their apartment. The co-worker of Lori's told Hacking to call the police immediately. So the co-worker told him to call the police. Okay. So later discovered by the police, Hacking did not immediately call the police. Instead, he drove to a nearby store and he made it a very important purchase, apparently. He purchased a new mattress, Melanie. So this obviously raises red flags that your wife is missing and what you think is most important is to purchase a new mattress. That's definitely interesting. First thing in the morning. Very odd. Yeah. Three of Lori's co-workers arrived at Memory Grove and began searching before Hacking even joined them. When he arrived, they told him that they had already contacted the police and reported her as missing. After learning this, he called 911 at 10.07 a.m. to report her as missing. So after she'd already been reported. The co-workers called it in first. Yeah. Yep. So after hanging up with 911... Hacking sat in his car, which was a Dodge Durango, and made several calls to different relatives. When he finished his phone calls, he got out of the car and, to directly quote Lori's coworkers, quote, began wandering around. So, I guess, okay, I want to say really quick, everyone handles this type of situation differently. We never know, but I, I can pretty safely say that I think I would be bossing people around like trying to catch every single person walking past me. I don't think that most people would be wandering around. What do you think, Mal? Yeah, I agree. And I mean, like you said, we never know how we're going to respond in this kind mm-hmm. of trauma situation, but he's his behavior seems very off Yeah, in got, multiple things. You've got, oh yeah, multiple things for sure. But you've got friends there 
searching for why not organize okay you go north i'll go south you go east you go west yeah. you know kind of direct the the search definitely he then took off on his own for a search hacking said he jogged her normal route twice to make sure she wasn't somewhere on the trail friends could see Lori's car was parked near the trailhead yeah the lead detective for Lori's disappearance was the amazing detective kelly kent who is my now new hero she's amazing um and she was assisted by detective taylor west the detectives met Mark Hacking at the couple's apartment just blocks from Memory Grove. So the media started to hear rumblings about Lori's disappearance and began to arrive at the couple's apartment. While police officers were searching the area, Memory Grove, and the apartment complex, Mark Hacking spent the morning talking to several different news and radio crews outside of his apartment. So we'll post some pictures of this, but it's pretty well known. He's got a like a scarf around on top of his head. So you'll, you'll see pictures. There was, I remember watching this on the news and he was front and center in front of all the cameras in the words of detective Taylor West quote, he would talk to anyone that would talk to him. And I definitely see the importance of getting the word out. You want as many people to know so that everybody's looking for her, but I don't know if I could stand in front of a news camera and be able to do these interviews. I'd want to be, out physically searching or doing something. I agree. It's hard. I agree. Lori's mom drove up from Utah County to Salt Lake City, which is about a 45-minute drive north on I-15. The family started to gather in support of hacking. So many of the detectives that were beginning to work on Lori's disappearance had spent months and months working diligently on the Elizabeth, Elizabeth Smart kidnapping. So, Mel, I'm sure you remember, it's it's a very famous case. Um, Elizabeth Smart was a 14-year-old girl that was kidnapped out of her bed in Salt Lake City. So, these detectives were determined to perform thorough and methodical police work. No stone unturned. Yeah, I actually lived in the area at the time that Elizabeth Smart went missing, and it was... It was scary, and I remember all of the news coverage and all of the conspiracies and things about what had happened to her. So I was there, too, as well. I remember the entire valley was just covered in flyers. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we're going to take another break to hear our word from our sponsors. Rocky Mountain Red-Handed is brought to you by Balance of Nature. I love my balance of nature. I take it every morning and it makes me feel so good. I do not like to eat vegetables, so I take my balance of nature to be able to get in the nutrients that I need. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code REDHANDED for 35% off your first order. We call it three and three. I take my three capsules of veggies, three capsules of fruits, and it gives me all I need. So that's balance of nature, promo code REDHANDED. Okay, a big thank you to our sponsors. So, Mel, let's get back to our story. So, the Salt Lake Police Department set up a command center and called in the troops. They called in several units, patrol, canine, and bike units, along with the requested community volunteers. Hacking continued all day making pleas on TV for help finding his pregnant wife. At 1.30 p.m., Lori had been missing for three and a half hours. Detectives Kelly Kent and Taylor West asked Hacking if they could have a look around the couple's apartment. Detective Kent had several purposes for this request. 
first to see if hacking would even let them in the apartment to kind of gauge how guarded he was. Mm -hmm. Second, they needed to take a few photos to help assist in the investigation. And lastly, the detectives wanted in the apartment just to see how Mark and Lori lived. Now, your home tells a lot about you. You can learn a lot about someone by just like looking around their house, see what's going on in their lives, just that type of thing, observing where they live. So the fact that my house is super messy right now, what does that say about me? (laughs) It says that you're a good mom. (laughs) The apartment was a complete disaster because the couple was in the middle of preparing for their move. Stuff was everywhere and the apartment had boxes open and half packed. Mm -hmm. During the apartment search, Detective Kent and Detective West picked up on some red flags that they saw from what secrets the apartment held. One of the first things that caught Detective Kent's attention was a red purse that was not far from the front door. She thought this was odd because women don't usually go places without their purses. Um, In addition, Lori's car keys were still in her purse. Mm, That's that's a big red flag. But I, I will say, though, I don't take my purse when I go for a jog. I don't either, but her car was parked over by the jogging trail. So she would have had to take her purse or at least her car keys to drive it over there. I I would, I take my car keys a lot without taking my purse. But yeah, obviously why I don't ever take my husband's keys. Do you take your husband's keys? No. Over? Yeah. So the, the fact that she doesn't have her purse with you, with her is not a huge red flag for me. But obviously why are her car keys still in there? Yeah, it's weird. So the apartment had also had a huge bouquet of flowers. The couple didn't have an anniversary or anything, so they started to question why the huge flower bouquet. I absolutely love this. So Detective Kent told Oxygen Network about a philosophy she has on men and flowers. So the philosophy goes like this. Men buy two types of flowers. Type one. A small, quick thought at a grocery store, just a little way of showing I love you. My husband does that. Mine does too. Mm -hmm. Type two uh, is the like, I screwed up and you're mad at me flowers, which is like a huge, expensive bouquet of flowers. My husband's never done that. To, To send like a huge bouquet of flowers would seem wasteful to him. But yeah, I do know those types of flowers They exist. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I agree with this philosophy. I learned that in my early 20s. Big bouquets usually mean something is fishy. So walking further into the apartment past the huge bouquet, Detective Kent could smell the strong odor of bleach coming from the bathroom. She looked inside and she saw that the bathtub was perfectly clean. The rest of the bathroom was, you know, pretty clean, sort of clean, but the bathtub was sparkling. The two detectives made their way further into the apartment and into the bedroom. The first thing Detective Kent noticed was a brand new set of sheets on the bed. So Mel, when you get a new pair of sheets, what's the first thing that you do with them? You wash them. Does everyone do that? I sure do. I think so. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They come in like that tight packaging. So the sheets would have like all of those lines and creases. But I like my sheets soft. Me too. So I wash mm-hmm. them. Yeah, exactly. The sheets that Detective Kent and West found were brand new, heavily creased, and definitely unwashed. Also, it was obvious that the sheets had never been slept on. They could tell that the bed had just been made with the brand new sheets. Red flag. Mm-hmm. Next, the detectives found something pretty strange in a bedside drawer. They came across a large blood-stained hunting knife. 
Yeah, that's not something you would typically keep in your drawer, a mm. bloodstained hunting knife. That's no. weird. Mm -mm. Yeah. Detective Kent looked over to the dresser and she saw Lori's jewelry box. She noticed Lori's wedding ring sitting in the jewelry box. She wondered why Lori wouldn't be wearing her wedding ring. I will say, when I work out, I don't wear any of my jewelry. I'll go sometimes and sometimes women are wearing their rings and stuff, but I never wear my wedding ring or any jewelry when I exercise. I don't either. I, I wear my necklace. I always wear my necklace. I never take it off, but rings definitely do not wear during working out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sitting on a shelf in the guest room, the detectives found a typewritten letter. The letter had no date, but was to Mark from Lori. It read, I hate coming home from work because it hurts to be home in our apartment. I can't imagine life with you if things don't change. I want to grow old with you, but I can't under these circumstances. Mel, what do you think? I mean, there are so many red flags just going off right now, and it's... Yeah. That's not a typical note that you would leave your husband. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After the detectives had their look through the apartment, they headed back over to Memory Grove. Dozens and dozens of police officers, volunteers, and members of the Soros and Hacking families were in the middle of a search. At Memory Park, Detective Kent and Detective West interviewed Hacking. So he reported no problems in his marriage, which I'm sorry, I have to say, I think that's a red flag in itself. Like, even if you have a good marriage, the people that are like, no, our marriage is perfect. You're no lying. marriage is perfect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he told the detectives about the plans of moving um, across the country and going to medical school in North Carolina. He told the detectives that he was planning on specializing in oncology. Detective Kent casually asked Hacking to spell the word oncology, and Hacking couldn't even spell it. So that's Okay, if weird. you can't spell oncology, you shouldn't be an oncologist. I can spell oncology, and I should not be an oncologist. <laughs> So Detective Kent was sure something was super fishy with this disappearance and this Mark hacking guy. She said that she noticed that he was doing the quote-unquote dry cry. Mel, yeah. can you tell us about it? Yeah, dry cry is when someone is trying to force themselves to cry or fake emotion. This happens a lot. Um, if someone is earnestly crying, their nose runs. If someone is forcing or faking it, their nose is dry. Detective Kent said she always looks for a runny nose. So I'm going to remember this for the future. Of course, I've heard of like people faking crying, of course, but I've never heard. She said, look for the runny nose. I've never heard that, but it's true. If you were sincerely crying, your nose is running. So I'm definitely going to keep an eye out for those runny noses. There you go. Yeah. Detective Kent and Detective West were now heading up a two-prong investigation. Homicide was interviewing persons of interest and family members and searching private property. While patrol is hard at work and performing a grid search of Memory Park and the surrounding areas and checking sex offenders, the Salt Lake Police Department did not hold back in trying to find Lori. Yeah, it sounds like they've got so many different people working on this. It's great. So Detective Kent spoke with hacking outside of his car. No warrants had been issued or used yet. Uh, because Hacking agreed to let the police search the apartment, so the police wanted to extend that search. The detectives asked Hacking if they could search his car, and he agreed. They found something that was really interesting and definitely changed the direction of the investigation. So Detective Kent found the yellow pages on the front seat of the vehicle. 
So the younger listeners out there that may not know what Yellow Pages are, Yellow Pages was a huge directory that every area had. I mean, Salt Lake was probably over 500 pages, but it was the listing of every single business, every single industry. So it's a really, really big, thick book. So along with the Yellow Pages, they found a receipt for the purchase of a mattress made that morning. 25 minutes before hacking called the police to report his pregnant wife was missing, he purchased a new queen-sized mattress. Again, we talked about this before, but it's just such weird timing. It's bizarre. Yes. Mm -hmm. Detective Kent picked up the receipt and waved it in the air. Her mind must have been racing. She understood what this simple receipt told her about this man. She simply asked, Mark, what's this? Detective Kent recalls seeing his facial expression completely change in an instant. He went from a grieving husband to a straight-faced, ice-cold glare. All he said was, you think I hurt her? Right then and there, Detective Kent said, quote, I know you killed her and I'm going to effing prove it. I cleaned it up a little bit. Wow. I love Detective Kent. She's amazing. She just had no question about it. Mm -hmm. She knew. She asked Hacking where the old mattress was now after he purchased the new one. He said he had thrown the mattress away and bought a new mattress because Lori conveniently had just bled all over the old mattress while she was on her period. Okay. Women don't have a menstrual cycle while they are pregnant. And Lori was five weeks pregnant. So why the rush to go buy a mattress? Um, he's a terrible liar. I think he is. And I don't think he knows much about women. Right. I would have <laughs> to agree. So Mel, you've moved a lot. We've talked about this. But do you usually buy large things before you move across the country? That makes no sense. No, I usually get rid of the large things and plan to purchase them when I get to a new place. A lot of times, especially when you're young and broke, everyone just, you just sell everything you have and buy new stuff when you get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It seems weird that you would stop the search for your wife and choose that moment to buy a brand new mattress. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As they questioned hacking at Memory Grove, Homicide came across a few additional things at the apartment. So found in the dumpster of the apartment building, homicide detectives found a pillow with a brown colored stain that they could tell had been been clean, trying to clean it at least. They also found the packaging for the new mattress, but the old mattress, yeah, it was nowhere to be seen. The detectives also cut and removed a carpet sample of what looked like blood from the interior of the apartment. So the pieces are starting to come together. Something happened in that apartment. Several officers felt a weird vibe at the apartment and each time that they were around Mark hacking. The Salt Lake Police Department was determined to find Lori and find the answers to their questions. Now, before stopping the landfill trucks from dumping, Detective Kent wanted to check all local dumpsters or locations where hacking knew there would be dumpsters. This early in the morning, chances are the garbage would not be picked up quite yet. Yeah, we definitely know that about predators is they stay where they are familiar. They tend to kind of visit the same area, travel in the same in the same area. So with that, detectives decided to check the dumpster of his church. And Mel, what did they find? Well, they found the mattress. Most of it, I guess. The top of the mattress had been cut off. The layer that you would lay on was gone, but they found the rest of the mattress. And why would someone 
cut off the top of the mattress. That's not something that people typically do. So, but we're going to leave you right there. That's all we have for today. Next week, we will pick up right here where we left off. So go ahead and share this episode with friends so you guys can discuss the crazy details with us on our socials. We'll post pictures. We'd love to get a conversation going. Mel, would you give us those socials again? You're so good at it. <laughs> yes. So Instagram is at Rocky Mountain Red Handed. You can follow us on Twitter, Rocky Mountain Red Handed Podcast. And Facebook is Rocky Mountain Red Handed as well. So until next time, keep your hands clean. 